Father, we bow before You now. And we acknowledge, Lord, in ourselves, we feel invincible at times. We feel like we can conquer the world. But then, Lord, You, life brings us to our knees. A crisis, a transition. And Lord, we feel and we realize that we are but mere man. So Father, we acknowledge You. In all of Your glory and all of Your greatness and all of Your holiness and all of Your love and all of Your forgiveness, we, we, we can't, Lord, even, if we took all the days of our life, and we should, but if we took all the moments of our life, and we should, just living out worship, Lord, all of creation could not express how awesome and great You are. So, Lord, we bring our hearts, our attentions to You today, our lives to You, And we even ask that, Lord, as we think about our families, that we realize the value You place on the family. The standards, the guidelines, the ways You would have families to function. And that, Father, we would then begin to allow You, the great God of all the universe, who loves us individually and loves our families, to begin to be God of all gods, in our homes. Lord, we thank You for this time together. Be pleased with us. It's all about You, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're a mother here today, would you stand up for just a moment? We want to give you a round of applause. All right? Mother, stand up. Thank you so much. I say this every year, we would not be here without you. We absolutely had to have you in the whole process. Don't you wish that every day was Mother's Day? You know, you know, you could. This is the only day it's legal to be selfish. You get to pick where you eat. You get to, uh, hopefully you do, or something along those lines, or hopefully you're not going to have to do all the work at the house. And you get, you get to, you know, be pampered. You get gifts brought to you from afar, as far away as Walmart. Uh, you know, you get all these precious things in, in honor of you. You get flowers maybe or whatever it is about it. And, you know, we just enjoy your children come and they bow at your feet. Didn't they do that to you all this morning? No? Okay. Well, anyway, it's a nice idea. Uh, maybe next year. But don't you wish every day was uh, was Mother's Day. The, the reality is is that you only get 24 hours, so be as selfish as you can in this 24 hours. Because tomorrow it slips back into normal. And normal is it's Kids' Day. And I didn't understand that growing up. I, I just kind of looked from the calendar growing up, you know, where is Kids' Day? We have Father's Day, we have Mother's Day, we have Jesus' Day, Christmas, and we have everybody else's day, but what about my day? And my mother just lovingly, polite reminded me that every day is your day. Every day revolves around you. Every day. You know, it's amazing what a child receives. And Guys, I don't know if the house lights are completely up, but uh, if those can make sure they're all the way up. But, you know, I don't know what it is in your family or but whatever. You know, it's amazing how when a shirt needs to be ironed, all of a sudden it appears into the closet 
and it's nicely pressly iron. You thought it comes out, it comes out every day like that, right? And if you need something iron or if you need a hot meal, it's amazing how you can make a request and boom, it appears on the table. Now, maybe not every night because you would be eating McDonald's or things like that every night, but you know, when you have that favorite meal, that she's always looking for an opportunity how she can make the, the family happy. You know, you have somebody that uh, anytime there's a school project, it always amazes me even how the school projects become parent projects. I don't, is that true in your family? You know, when you have a bug project, the eighth grade bug experiment, you know, kill the bug day, you know, you, you, uh, you go out and you scrounge up under rocks or whatever bugs and you bring them in and you might, as a, as a kid, find joy in bringing those bugs in, but then mom has to handle the bugs and kill the bugs and... Uh, torso the bugs you know or excuse me spear the bugs in the torso and put them all on display and help you get that whole thing together she did it when she was in eighth grade and now she has to do it for however many kids she has it's amazing what a mother uh will have to will have to do she catches the bugs and does all 24 7 hour or 24 days excuse me 24 hours a day seven days a week shuttle you know and you don't even have to tip them you know you just kind of go on about it anytime you need to get somewhere or go somewhere they're amazingly right there at your beckoning command. If you ever need money, you always know where to go. There's a bottomless pit of money. You need braces, mom and dad always seem to have the money. You need to go, you're going to play baseball, they always seem to have the money. In fact, I I don't know how long it took me to realize because these things cost, everything in life costs, but mom always had the money. And it didn't mean that it was easy, didn't mean that we didn't have to cut somewhere and do something else somewhere. But she, anytime something needed to be done. But the thing is about all of this giving, whether it's food or clothing or, 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 or shuttle services or, or whatever it may be, if you constantly give, you wear out. You, you will eventually burn out. You'll eventually want to quit. If we don't maintain ourselves uh, as parents, as adults, as couples, as families, even as children... If we don't learn the value of taking care of this very precious institution that we call the family, we can be in dangerous trouble of losing it. You've all heard the statistics. One, or excuse me, five out of every ten marriages end in divorce. Now that's sad, but you go on and focus on the family says that out of the five marriages that last, fewer than half of those actually report that they share a life of intimacy. So you might just figure that two marriages out of 10 marriages would classify their family and their marriage as an intimate, connected kind of marriage. Now, the first statistic I was not alarmed with. I'd heard that. I've heard that all my life. The second one alarmed me, concerned me deeply, that not just because you're married for 50 or 40 or however many years, does it mean that you're happily married? Does it mean that things are going well in the house? But I'll tell you right now, if there's anything that I know today, it's one thing that I absolutely know that I know, that God loves you individually, but God also loves your family. God absolutely loves you, and we can accept that and sing Jesus loves me all day long, but we somehow need to build into our our repertoire of songs that Jesus loves, God loves my family. God has a plan, an awesome desire for an intimate dwelling of people together, different personalities, different ages, that they can come together and they can love one another and be an intimate bond with one another. That was God's plan from the beginning. 
And I know that God loves our families because out of all of the institutions, out of all the organizations, out of all of the things that God ordered, that God put together on this, on this cosmos, He put together first and foremost the family. After creating the earth, after resting, what does he do? He realizes, in that, well, actually, before he rests, he realizes at Adam that, that Adam's not complete. So he creates a woman. He creates a family. And then he rests. And in fact, after every one of those, as you go all along, at the end of it all, he says, it is good. He puts a man and he puts a woman together and he creates a family. And out of all the institute, out of all the elements of creation, you think about the galaxies out there. You think about the sun and the moon and the stars. You think about all the different elements of creation, how God separated the waters and He created the land and all that kind of stuff. He spends more time, no matter how marvelous and beautiful that is, you just take the first three chapters of Genesis and He spends the grand majority of the time focusing on the family. Saying the family is where it all is. The family is that individual, it's that coming together. God desires your family to be rich with beauty and intimacy. Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. I want to read from the New International Version today. Listen to these words. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Take that last phrase and underscore it. Rare and beautiful treasures. When God creates a home, listen, when I say this again, because I don't want you to miss the first part, it's a conditional clause there. When God creates a home, He wants to fill it. He wants to establish it. He wants to make it strong and secure. A house, wisdom, a house is built. It's established. And through understanding, it's established. It's made strong. It endures the storms of life, the straight line winds, the tornadoes that come at us in life. It will endure. And then He wants to fill it with treasures, with rare and beautiful treasures. What a description of a home. Now, as I was preparing for this week, and I knew I was going to be speaking on the family for some time, but I didn't know what passage to go to, where to begin, because really, if you look throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, he's dealing with the family in some form or fashion. And I thought, well, what one passage covers it all? It's kind of the, the catch-all beginning of it all. And I would say probably Genesis chapter uh, 2, whenever God brings the husband and the wife together. But it still doesn't cover everything I think that makes for a happy home. Because I think, again, the happiness for some people is a fleeting thought over there. Whenever you have only two out of ten homes that can actually look into their home and say, we have an intimate, we have a precious, we have a beautiful home, that's a scary statistic. And so a lot of people are going to be thinking, is a happy home, is it just a hoax, or is, it actually, is there actually hope for this? And if you grew up in a home, or maybe it's a little dysfunctional, or maybe it's come from a blended background, as I have, sometimes you wonder, is it even possible out there? And your aunts and uncles and all that struggle with their marriages, and you wonder, is it possible out there? And then you have somebody that you know that had a beautiful marriage, so you thought, ends up in divorce. Somebody runs off. You think, man, maybe it's really just a hoax, a fairy tale dream out there. 
And so what passage in the Scripture can I take them to to kind of begin to lay out that foundation? And I think that this begins to give us, Proverbs 24 begins to give us by wisdom, by understanding, and through knowledge. So he's, what he's saying here, he's saying that there's, there's some key elements here, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. We need to bone up on what it means to be and look like a happy, intimate home. Because that's why God, He wants to fill the home, He wants to establish the home, He wants to build the home, and He's going to do it through wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So what is it that we need to understand? Because it's amazing how education can, it doesn't always, but it can actually enhance your life if you apply it to your life. You look at this, um, this topic today and I think about what does it take to have a happy home. I want to list out for you what I believe are four components of a happy home. Four components that I think if these things are in the home, that you have a far, far greater chance to be in that 2% than in that other percent. That 2% that so few ever make it or sustain it, maybe you're there for a while, but sustain it? How can you get there? How can you stay there? I think these are things that we have to nurture and have to continue to build into our life and into our marriage and into, into our family. Now, I'll just tell you right now, each one of these that we're going to add, each one of these four components that I'm going to speak of, every one of them will require more of you. So if you stop at number one, you'll, you'll, go, you'll go a while. You'll be okay for a while. But if you do number two, you'll go further than if you just did number one. If you do number three and four, then you'll go a lot further than if you had just done number one or two. So understanding all four of these components, bringing them into your life, being willing to pay the price of whatever that takes to, to, to see all four of these components in your life, it will make a huge difference in the intimacy and the happiness of the home. First component of a happy home, compatibility. Compatibility. Now compatibility is a, is a slippery perspective that can change on a dime depending on how you measure and account for, for that. For some people, the relationship becomes incompatible as soon as there's a first disagreement. You know, we don't agree on that. We don't, we don't see eye to eye on that, so there's just no way I can tolerate being with that person. You're in that relationship dating mode, and, and, you, and if, if, you, if you jump ship every time you disagree, then you're going to be jumping ship a lot. You're going to have to figure out what it is out there that are non-negotiables. In fact, when I talk with somebody in the early stages of a relationship, I'll, I'll ask them, especially when I talk about marriage, especially when I think it's a little early, I'll say, well, tell me about your first argument. How did you go into it? How did you resolve it? Or did you resolve it? Because if you can't learn to get past that conflict, then you will find yourself feeling as if you were incompatible. Compatibility is very important. Some people, the compatibility goes away when the euphoria goes away. They attach euphoria and compatibility hand in hand, and they're actually not at all hand in hand. Euphoria, psychologists will tell you, will go away whenever, uh, well, about nine, between 9 and 12 months, it will go away in, in a relationship, if not before. That euphoria, if you don't remember, that's that, that sweat, sweaty palm, that beating heart. And literally, there's physical, biological things that happen inside of you, physiological things that happen inside of you when that relationship is taking on charge, is really receiving that, 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 that initial bolt. It's kind of like he walks on the clouds. She's Miss America. You remember that face? Are you still there? Don't, don't answer that one, okay? Beware, because if you attach the two, 
Maintaining a deep emotional relationship, if you don't do that, you are in trouble. Here's a life principle for you. You might jot it down. I want to tell you this. Compatibility is primarily a spiritual issue more than an emotional or physical issue. It's not emotional primarily because I think emotions can be overrated. Again, emotions is like that euphoria. You got it for a while and then you lose it. You might get it back. You might not get it back. Now, emotions are good, and I'm not going to negate the emotions because emotions are the spark that start a fire going. But if you're going to have that match in your hand, it's going to go out eventually. And you're going to have to have a pretty good stoked fire over here to keep the flame going. But emotions is what lights a fire. But emotions will not keep your fire going. So it's not primarily, compatibility is not whether or not we are emotionally, we laugh together all the time. I hear people say that. We laugh together so much, and that's good. But that's not everything about compatibility. Another thing that, um, that a lot of people think is it's the physical. And it's not. It's, it's, it's way beyond one's physical color or national origin or anything like that. I remember a member of one of my churches coming to me one day out of the youth Bible study, and she was just coming in a frantic pace. She said, uh, Brother Mike, she said, tell me where it says in the Bible that white people and black people can't marry. And I said, well, it doesn't. And neither does it say Asians and Hispanics can't marry. She says, it's not a physical thing. So I'll tell you again, it's not so much that it's a physical thing or is it it an emotional thing. Compatibility is far, far greater a spiritual issue. In your worship notes today, there's a green sheet of paper. You can take that home and do that on your own. We adapted that. We had to baptize it several times because it's from a secular worldview. But anyway, we, uh, we, we tried to bring in... A, uh, um, a, a source that maybe just can get your mind going, take that test later on. But it will help you understand whether or not we are connecting, we're firing the same. But I want to say this, I want to espouse this, that compatibility is more to do with spirituality than it does to do with physical or emotional. Lori and I, it was 17 years ago, we, we've been married for 17 years, we've been dating for 21 years. Now you can figure that one out, hopefully you're still dating. But 17 years ago, my wife, Lori, gave me this ring right here. I've been wearing it for 17 years until she, on our anniversary, gave me a new wedding ring. But this wedding ring actually is very meaningful to me because this is the same one I've had for 17 years. And seldom would I ever take it off. But there's something that's actually inscribed on the inside of this that I'll keep it until I... In fact, at one time, I actually I wore the gold off so much they had to reinforce it and re-engrave what we have engraved on this. It's Amos 3.3. And this has become our life verse. This has become our marital verse. This is the verse that we kind of have built our relationship on. Some people have a song. We have a verse. Sounds like a preacher, right? You've got to have a verse instead of a song. Well, here's what, here's what our verse says. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two really go through life together unless they are compatible, unless they share the same values, the same spiritual convictions? Can they really walk together unless they be agreed? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make partnership out of the right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. You know, I think we have to be very careful because that we don't enter into a relationship that already has its setbacks. And I have met so many people who are on different tracks spiritually, 
And it literally, and I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them along. I'm going to win them to Christ. I'm gonna, and you know what? I can probably name one out of a hundred cases where I've seen that. I've seen more cases where there is actually a pulling down. They can't agree on a church, and so they just quit going. Or one doesn't believe in Christ, or one is not a Christ follower, and so they just quit going. Oh, and the kids come along, and then there's this kind of guilt. I've got to get my kids in church, or the kids are asking spiritual questions, so I'm going to take them to the church, and they're going to fix it. See, spirituality is something that we cannot underestimate. Physical beauty, absolutely important. Emotional compatibility, absolutely important. But if you want a marriage that's going to be happy to the end as God intended it and designed it, hey, listen, if God designed marriage and has a blueprint for marriage, wouldn't it be great if we followed God's blueprint? After all, He's God. Spirituality. Look at it. Understand it. Or and I developed this kind of little symbol that because we'd come out of couple of dysfunctional kind of relationships in high school and we were high school sweethearts and and so we said we want something that would describe us that would that would bring us together as this Amos 3 3 was kind of our verse but this this symbol we would write our love notes during class and pass them around to one another but we'd always put this little symbol on there because we wanted to make sure we had come from this relationship that was built on emotions or on physical and we want to go to this relationship that was built on the spiritual and so we built this little triangle this triangle, you put Mike on one side of the triangle and you put uh, Lori on the other side. And as we grow, we want to grow towards something. We want to grow towards God. The, greater, the greatest thing about this, about this symbol here is as we walk together, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? As we walk together, notice what happens. We are going to get closer and closer to each other. At the same time, we're going to get closer and closer to God. As I grow closer and closer to God, I'm going to go closer and closer to Lori as she's growing closer and closer to God. What's at the apex of your triangle? What's at the apex of your triangle? Or maybe you're on one triangle and your mate's on another triangle. Compatibility on the spiritual level is an absolute must if you're going to build a happy home. Number two is communication. The second part of a component of a, of a happy home is communication. Now, I talked about communication last week. I talked about this whole communication of what I'm doing up here and talking versus communicating. Hope you can you know, transfer everything that I said last week on that part over to this part because just because you're talking doesn't mean you're communicating. Just because he's going, mm-hmm, 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 doesn't mean he's listening. I'll just confessions from a, from a man, okay? Okay? Listen, communicating is when you're both heart, soul, mind, thoughts, values. You're connecting. doesn't mean you're always going to agree, but you're at least connecting. You're at least in a dialogue that's healthy and growing and maturing. Talking is, 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 is an active thing. Communicating is an art. I said that last week. And then you listen to what I said last week. I said what I do up here on Sundays is very, very important to the whole ministry and the whole direction of the church, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? What I'm doing up here one day a week, you do seven days a week in your home. Are you talking? Are you communicating? Are you talking? Are you communicating? I just, I just randomly thought of three things that I think absolutely make for great communication, at least in our marriage. I believe it's though biblical, and I believe that you'll find it to be true. In your marriage, number one thing is you need honesty and transparency. If you are hiding stuff, things in your life as a lifestyle, 
it's unhealthy. And even if your spouse doesn't know that you're hiding it, you are not fully theirs. What did Jesus say? The truth would set you free. Didn't say the truth would be easy. Didn't say the truth would not have consequences. If you've messed up on this side of the fence, guess what? You will have consequences on this side of the fence. Truth, however, will set you free. Truth can be uh, cathartic. Truth can be healing. Truth can bring unity. Truth can bring happiness. But also, our communication needs to be redemptive and gracious. Okay? If... If a spouse cannot share with a spouse their inmost feelings and thoughts and fears without getting a lecture on this side, it's not a good, healthy communication. If a spouse can't be open and honest and frank without finding grace and redemption on this side, they're not going to be open and honest on this side. There's got to be a graciousness about our conversation, a redemptiveness about our conversation. Job said this to his friends. He says, how long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Think about that. Our words are like fire, James says. They crush us like Job said. If our words aren't seasoned and gracious and redemptive, then we're in trouble. Okay? Here's the third part of great communication in marriage. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listening, listening, listening. Say, hold on, i got something to say. I got feelings. I got thoughts. I've got issues. Well, you might have issues, but one of your issues is you're probably not listening. Okay? Listening, listening, listening. Henry Cloud said that if he had eight hours to train leaders, he would spend all eight hours teaching them, training them how to listen. If you're going to go to the business world and the number one, one of the number one leaders and thinkers in, in leadership and communication, is going to say that he's going to spend eight hours, and all he has is eight hours, and I'm going to spend them to teach these leaders how to listen, to listen, to listen, to listen. Then don't you think in the home we ought to do the same? Learning how to listen, learning how to feel the thoughts and think the thoughts that are going on. Compatibility is one thing. Communication takes it to a total new level. Because you can be compatible and agree with each other spiritually on things. Agree, Grace points your home. You can say, okay, we're going to go there. And okay, we're going to have these values in the home. But if you don't have communication, you've not taken it to the next level. Communication is a part of it. And again, what I'm doing is I'm just hitting a smattering of verses today as we go through here. But I hope you see that communication is a next level for a happy home. The, the third level is harder than the second level, which is harder than the first level component which is commitment. Commitment. Commitment is an active, not a passive thing. It's something that we commit ourselves to and we don't relinquish it. Now, I don't like the word commitment in our culture because commitment is something that you're committed to. We're we're committed to the gym every January, are we not? We're committed to losing weight for 30 days and then all of a sudden we want to have a Big Mac attack and then we're all of a sudden gone with that. We're committed, we're committed, we're committed. We're committed to a job until we get a better offer. We're committed to this until, until something else better comes up. You know, I hate the word commitment in America. The better word would be surrender. Actually, turning over of ownership, turning over of leadership to. But I'm no longer now calling the shots. That's commitment now. Now we're talking about real life commitment. You need to be committed to each other, for one thing. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 24 was the verse that I said. And I, and I share this verse at, 
I would say 10 out of every, every, every wedding I've ever done, I've shared this verse. Because this is the foundation for a happy and enduring home. This verse right here. When God's talking, he's establishing the home. He's telling Abraham, excuse me, excuse me. He's telling Adam and Eve. He says this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now we can quickly go through that verse. But that word joined is actually the strongest Hebrew word in the Bible for soldering or melting or meshing two people together. Inseparable. You pull them apart, there's going to be splinters, there's going to be fractures. Uh Uh-uh. When God puts a family together, what do we say? The very first verse, when God builds that home, he establishes that home, he puts treasures in that home, and when he does that, he brings them together never to be separated. You can be compatible and you can have some decent communication, but if you don't have commitment, whenever that decent communication kind of goes to bad communication, guess what? Commitment, you're going to be looking for the escape hatch. Be committed to each other. Be committed to your children. This is not just about husband and wife or mothers or about fathers. This is about the family. What's it take to be the family that's happy and has those components? Your children need to know you're committed to them in ways that may be unconventional, maybe, uh, I would say, old-fashioned. That's the word I'm looking for. Helping our children know the path that they should take in life. Helping our children make right and good choices. Being faithful to the family in such a way that you're going to counsel and walk with and pray with and lay down at night with and, and, and cry with and, and think through life with and go camping and hiking with. and So you're spending time and you're not just lecture dad or, 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 or mom who, who has all the answers. You're actually living life, life on life. And at times that's going to require discipline. At times it's going to require correction. That's what the Bible says about about this very topic. He says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child is left to himself, disgraces his mother. Disgraces his mother when a child is left to themselves. I want to give you just a couple of guidelines. We're not going to talk about spankings or, or whatever, okay? I have my view, you have your view, but I'll tell you this. If you don't do something, your child will be a disgrace to you. I see kids in Walmart, and I say, you know what, I could fix that problem for you. (laughs) Give me a week with them. Biblical discipline gives boundaries and encourages creativity. Now, let me explain that to you. When you have boundaries in life, it doesn't mean you can't do things. It just tells you the boundaries in which you can do them. When you give your children clear, defined boundaries, you can say, okay, you you step over here, there are consequences for stepping over here, and I want to save you some real hurtful consequences later on in life, so I want to help teach you here while you're at home because you're not going to always be here, hopefully, okay? But once you've got the boundaries defined, then let the personality express themselves. Let the, the individual creativity express themselves. It doesn't mean you can't be creative. It just means that you're going to be within the confines of these boundaries. 
you never teach a child to say no and you never follow that up with discipline, guess what? Whenever they're married and they want to go out on their own and kind of leave the wife and the, the husband at home and kind of do their own thing, they were never told at home that they couldn't, never told no, no boundaries. Life without boundaries is a train wreck in process. Biblical discipline gives boundaries, encourages creativity. Another thing it does, biblical discipline shapes the will without damaging the spirit. Shapes the will without damaging the spirit. Very, very important difference there because I've seen some go so far as try to break that spirit. Well, you know what? That spirit is, is an awesome, creative a part of them, but at the same time, shaping the will, helping them to know those boundaries, helping them to know the right from the wrong is vitally important, but absolutely encouraging the creativity and the freedom and the relationship is, is, is very important of how God created them. The Miami, the Miami Herald columnist Leonard Pitts said it like this, that, for teenagers, the unforgiving wilderness stretches from boys to men. He says this wilderness is out there, and it's unrelenting. It's horrible. It's difficult, and they need parents who are committed to them, committed to them. Compatibility is absolutely vital. Communication, commitment. But I want to give you the last one as we finish. Christ. At every level, it's going to require more. Say, so i got Christ. I'm at church, right? I'm a member. I've signed the covenant. You know, I'm a member of this church, so Christ, therefore, is at the center of our home. Hey, after all, I give Sundays to God, don't I? I'm here for an hour. I'm here for an hour and a half. I may even serve. I may serve one and worship one. I've caught the vision. You know, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. But it's not the end. It's only the beginning. Christ is not the sinner just because you're here today. Christ is not the sinner just because you're going to turn right out of here and serve in one of our, one of our next generation's ministries and teaching our children. And it doesn't make it Christ the center of the home. Christ is the center of the home whenever you love, when you love God more than you love your wife. Jesus even said, if you're going to follow me, you've got you to gotta hate your mother and your father. You remember that? It's a little hard, kind of stumbling kind of verses. You got, what do you mean hate? Because when you compare your love for, for God compared to your love for, for your family, your love for, for, for God is so much more than your love for your family. But the great thing is, I can tell you right here today, and Lori's standing there in the back, I love Jesus more than I love Lori. I love Jesus more than I love Lori. The great thing is, is because I love Jesus more than I love Lori, I can now love G- Lori more than I would ever love her had I not loved Jesus more. Because I really learn how to love my wife when I look at Jesus. I really learn what it means when Jesus said, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And when I think about how Christ gave his life and died and suffered and forgave from the cross, all, you know, how can I not love and forgive and communicate and be compatible with her? Why can't, how can I not serve her? As Jesus said, I came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. How can I not love her even more? But Christ I love more than I love her. Because of that, it enables me to love her more than I would ever love her otherwise. Are we tracking? Do you get it? 
It may be a little existential here. It may be a little complex to the mind, but it's really being able to dive into this and be able to wrestle with this a little bit more and say, hey, am I just putting on Jesus or is Jesus in me, through me, all all the way around me and in my family? It was interesting, uh, a study that was done in the year 2000 about homes and how homes were being built. And uh, US, uh, USA Weekend uh, article said Dream Home 2000 is what they said. And they basically came up with three different home types that a lot of homes are going towards in, 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 this, new, in this new millennium. And the first home that they, they, they spoke of was the hidden high-tech home. This is the home that... Everything is computerized or they have home entertainment centers, movie theaters in the home, and they have Wi-Fi. How many have Wi-Fi in your home? All right? Do you remember that sound? And you had to be tied and tethered to a, to a phone line? That was, that was my imitation of dial-up, okay? But now we don't have to do that. We just throw up the laptop. And Lori and I will be laying in bed. There's nothing on television. We'll both be watch, watching with our laptops YouTube. Oh, watch, look at this one. Okay, and we'll go. And we'll, we'll watch the computer more than we'll watch television. I mean, we're a high-tech. These high-tech homes are just becoming more and more the way they are. I mean, you go up to your garage door and you no longer push a button. You now go punch a code in. It's, it's a high-tech home. Then there's also the second is a family feel kind of a home where the, the, the house kind of has a very much of a nurturing kind of element about it. It's an aging in place is the way they defined it in this article. Is that, you know, a junior or a grandma could be living in this home and it's, it's very, very warm, very inviting, maybe very open, maybe a lot, of, a lot of natural light coming into this kind of home. That's the kind of homes that are out there. The third home, and this is the one that caught me by surprise, is a lot of homes are building, a lot of people are building into their homes rooms of reflection is the way they called it in the article. Rooms for reflection. And there's almost little sanctuaries within the home. Homes that, 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 that they go in and they build into these almost family altars, spiritual centers. Gene McMahon, who's an who's a architectural historian, said this, something greater than ourselves is what these homes are trying to communicate. And I think, you know, that's what the architects are saying and doing and whatever, but how much of this should have already been there? That our homes are places where there's family altars. We're building into our lives. We're building into our families a very culture where God is center. How does this flesh out? How does this, you know, I I love it when families go on mission trips. You know, instead of taking a family vacation, take a family mission trip. Go somewhere for God. I think the Eldridge right down here, they went uh, to Mali this past just after Christmas, and the Grindstaffs, where are you all at? You're somewhere right there. They went also, and they, they took their families, and they went on mission to Mali. The, the Rogers are always going to Haiti, and they take their family, and they go on a family mission trip, making a difference where your children are growing up with a global perspective and realizing that God is at work around the world. That's awesome. What about a family that, uh, that gives together? When the offering plate comes by, it's not something that, you know, how much can I slide in there and go on? But, you know, when Lori and I were, we were going, we were building this building camp, we were going to this building campaign and, and we asked 60 families is all we had in the church at that time. Asked all 60 families to get together and to pray in their homes about what it is that God wanted their family to give to build this 200 people building for, 
for, for 500 and how we were going to do it, we sat together as a family and we prayed through what we were going to do. We're going to do a double tithe. We're going to tithe the ministry. Budget. We're going to tithe the building campaign. And we decided as a family. And our kids knew that this meant sacrifice. This meant commitment. This meant for the next three years, this is going to change our values. Giving as a family. Serving as a family. You know, it's interesting. On Sundays, our family comes and we're here for two services. We're, yeah, Mike, you're paid to be here. Okay? I am paid to be good. Okay? I'm paid to be here. They're good for nothing. You know, they stay and they serve and they do in their various ministries. Serving together, worshiping together, giving together. All of these are things. Praying together. Recently, Caleb went on an eighth grade retreat with his school and there was a 40-day fast that they asked, he asked our family to go through. And it's 40 days of fasting from something that we crave. For me, it was caffeine. I did not realize how much caffeine is in chocolate. I love chocolate. Okay? I mean, caffeine's in chocolate. It's in tea. I have not found a restaurant in northwest Arkansas that says it serves decaffeinated tea. You know, Lori, it was coffee. Now, I think sometimes she loves coffee more than she loves me. Because every morning she gets up, her lips touch a coffee cup before they touch mine. And so, you know, it was that. But it's for, for 40 days we went through this together as a family praying for Caleb as he is going on this retreat. The cool thing is, is that he comes back from the retreat, he says this was absolutely the spiritual high of his life. He even prayed the next night at dinner. He said, God, reverse time so I can go back on this retreat. Now, I don't know, but maybe it helped having a family pray together to give to serve, to go together. What is it that your family does that really, really expresses that Christ is the center of the home? Really what it's going to come down to in your life is surrender. It's not just going to be commitment. It's going to be a surrender of your life. Would you pray with me? The praise band comes back up. We're going to sing a very familiar song about I surrender. But you know what? I'm going to give you an opportunity to make it real clear today for your family. Now, I know your children may not be in here and you may not, your spouse may not be in here, but maybe, maybe it is. For some, it will be very relevant. For others, it may not be as relevant. But I want to give you the opportunity right here, right now to say, hey, my family is going to be Christ-centered. We're going to give. We're going to serve. We're going to, we're going to go. Whatever it is, we're going to pray. And you may, these, these steps up here, you may want to come up here as a husband and wife. You may want to grab that offering envelope for the first time in your life in front of you and say, hey, today we're going to start this. We're serious about tithing now. You, you might say, hey, I'm willing to go on one of these mission trips. We're going to Mali in, in July and in September and November and, and uh, again in, De- in December. And we're, we're going to Mexico and in October. And we've got a trip going in. In, to Haiti in late July, you know, maybe so, I, I'm going to go on a trip. Lori will be at the back at the Molly table. You can go there. This is your chance to surrender. Let it be the beginning of a happy home. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for our families. We can't take them for granted. Can't take them for granted, Lord. 
we know people, we can visualize them right now mentally in our minds of families that we know, we work with, we live on the same block with, we're torn between friendships with because relationships are coming apart. They're fraying, they're crumbling, they're crashing down. And Lord, with a, with a fearful respect, mine could be next. May there be spiritual compatibility. May there be genuine heart to heart, not head to head communication. May there be a commitment that, that rivals any commitment that we make in this world. May it resemble surrender. And may you, and only you, be at the apex of our life.